Welcome to the Go Hack Something podcast, where education and technology meet. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about an Internet of Things project that I built to monitor and control the temperature in a small room with a microcontroller. I'm your host, Will Bushy, author of Wired for Coding, and my co-host, Ross Wickman, is out on assignment today, but we'll catch up with him again here in the coming weeks. No worries about that. And he's been um, working on the back end, doing all the show notes and getting everything uploaded as well. So he's still part of the program. We just haven't had a chance to get together at the same time and record any episodes, but we'll do so here soon. Before we get into today's topic, just wanted to give you kind of a little bit of background on why I'm building this Internet of Things project. Years ago, I used to mess around a lot with circuits and hardware, both analog and digital, and found it real fascinating. But at the time, it was just so difficult to do anything, and access to parts were very difficult. You know, you could still get them at Radio Shack, or you could order them through a catalog back in the good old days. Uh, but it just it was hard to find things, and it just wasn't as easy as it is today. Now I can just bring up um, really Amazon or eBay and order anything I could ever imagine and have it in my hands within um, a couple of days if necessary or a couple of weeks if I'm not in any big hurry. And honestly, that's just pennies a piece. Uh, it's crazy the price of some of these components these days. But anyway, a couple of years ago, I started messing around with um, with an Arduino Uno. And it, for a couple of different reasons, I was um, helping somebody do a little bit of a workshop on them because they were interested in getting more people involved. And then I was also working on a, another project with a friend of mine where he wanted to build some remotely monitoring devices and uh, didn't really know what how to start that. And he and I started to do some research and just look at what the state of the art was. You know, we obviously found Arduino immediately since that was a, a common developer platform. But we also looked at some of the other systems that exist out there. And at the time, I did a lot of evaluations of different development boards and, and, pro- pro- and production boards. And that really sparked my interest in kind of looking more at this Internet of Things platform that's been kind of popular in the news lately, not always for the best reasons. Um, but anyway, I started to build a number of Internet of Things devices as part of this. And as everybody knows, the best way to learn something is to have a project and to actually build it and to build something. And this was no different. So rather than just blinking an LED on an Arduino saying, hey, I'm an expert at the Arduino, I actually wanted to build some things. And so I, I built a lot of real simple, small things to start with. And then that continued to grow and expand. And, and I started to build more elaborate solutions and involved uh, more than just the Arduino, but starting to get into adding additional uh, circuits and additional IC integrated circuits onto the boards in order to do things and expand what they're already, or where they maybe couldn't expand on even further. And I've talked briefly about some of these projects on the, the past episodes. Over the last year or so, I've built um, probably about five different devices that I've got monitoring different components around my house. And they vary a lot. Some of them are just measuring temperature, like in the freezers. I've got a couple of them, one in each freezer in order to monitor the temperature. And they're set up to send alerts if things are outside of where they're supposed to be, or if for some reason it's unable to send a message indicating there may be a power outage at the house. I recently installed one in the garage, which tells me whether or not the garage door is open or closed, what the lights are on, what the temperature is. And then I also have a few others that are just monitoring other components. And I've got some ideas for a few things that I want to build here in the future. This is in a field known as embedded technology, which is where we start to combine physical world, like a microcontroller interfacing with something with the software end, which I've got you know 20 plus years of experience writing code. So I 
I'm able to kind of jump in from the software side and be able to solve any of those types of problems. And now I'm in the process of kind of learning more on the physical side or the electronics and the microcontroller side. And it's been a lot of fun to, to learn and explore that. Now, you may or may not know this, but uh, most of the microcontroller code is written in C or C++. And those are not necessarily easy languages to learn if you don't have any programming experience or background. We're starting to see a little bit more MicroPython and some other higher level languages come out. And that'll be great. I think that'll start to open up a lot more flexibility for people that may have no previous background to be able to jump in and, and start to build things through a, an embedded technology solution. And I'll cover some more of these projects in upcoming future episodes as well. And where it makes sense, I'll also have some instructables and videos that you can follow along to either replicate the project or maybe you've got an idea of how to modify something that I've created to do something that's more specific to you your own needs. So that's a little bit of background as to why I've been building Internet of Things projects. So anyway, a friend of mine reaches out to me and says, hey, he's got a, he's got a problem. He's got this small incubator room where he's running experiments and the, the little tiny ceramic heater that he has, the thermostat in it swings far too great. So it's a 10 to 15 degree swing but he needs to keep the room controlled at about one degree Celsius. So he doesn't want it too hot or too cold and he wants to be able to dial that in. Well, anyway, we got to talking about how we could potentially build something like that. The other requirement that he had is that he wanted to know and record the temperature in the room. So he started to do some research on off-the-shelf products geared specifically towards the scientists community and found that a lot of these devices were three, $400. And all they did was just monitor the temperature and record it for, you know, you could import it into Excel, for example, so that you'd have a, a timestamp and the exact temperature. But as we started to talk, I thought, well, we could build uh, just a small little device with a microcontroller that would log the current temperature. And he's also interested in humidity. So we're logging humidity. And then if it crossed, uh, if it got too cold in the room, we'd click the heater on using a relay. And then once it reached our maximum temperature, it would click that heater off and turn the relay off. And then it would just do that again. And we didn't really care if this thing cycled, um, you know, once every 10 minutes or once every 20 minutes, it didn't really matter how quickly it cycled and how quickly the room temperature dropped. The more important thing was, is that you know, could we control that temperature within about a degree or so? So I ended up building two different devices. The first device I built just did not work very well at all. And I learned a lot from that initial build. The first one I used something called an ESP8266 ESP01, which is uh, the ESP8266 is a embedded microcontroller that has a, a wireless stack, a Wi-Fi stack. And then the ESP01 form factor has just a couple GPIO ports or general purpose input output ports. And it's really, really small, like the size of a postage stamp. Actually, it's probably even smaller than that. Uh, but uh, they're really cheap as well. They're like a buck. Uh, and I, I thought I started with that. I thought, okay, well, this should work. And I had been building a few other Internet of Things devices with them. So I had a bunch of them laying around. And I got it all, I technically got it all working, but it just wasn't very reliable. I had a couple of problems, like if it got disconnected, it wouldn't always reconnect. If we lost power, there was this weird sequence you had to go through in order to get the thing booted back up again so that it wasn't in program mode. And it just turned out to be 
a nuisance in the end. So I ended up building a second version. And the second version, I created one using the same controller, the SP8266, but in a completely different form factor. I used something called a Node MCU. The Node MCU is um, on a nice little development board. It's got a lot of the pins exposed. It's very, very stable, very reliable. It gets powered off of a USB, micro USB cable. And it's just a lot easier to use, honestly. I didn't have to put a voltage regulator on it or, or anything like that. So that probably should have been the way I went with in went the direction I went uh, initially. Um, but anyway, it costs uh, about $5 if you order them just straight off eBay from, from China. You can get them from Amazon closer to about $9 a piece. But either way, they're they're pretty inexpensive considering everything that you get. The sensor I ended up using was uh, something called a DHT22. Now the DHT22 has a temp it measures both temperature and relative humidity and they're very stable. It's in a little white uh, little plastic package, very very durable and it's got a couple of uh, pins for I squared C so you can combine that with other sensors if you need to, but it also is very very reliable. Um, uh, inaccurate. And it's something that there's a lot of libraries that exist out there today. So you won't really have any hard and have a hard time getting it working within your Arduino. And then the third component was just a relay. Now I also messed that up the first time. We did a couple quick calculations and thought we could get by with a, a regular 10 amp relay, but it turned out the current needed to get that heater going uh, did spike way beyond 10 amps. And so the very first version, we ended up burning out that relay within about seven days. Actually, I actually think it was probably closer to three days. Uh, all of a sudden it just um, stopped working and it took a little bit of uh, diagnostics because I was having problems with that ESP8266 and I wasn't sure if it was that or if it was the relay. In the end, I ended up um, just taking the unit home and taking it apart, confirming that the code was all correct. And then I ended up disassembling the relay and sure enough, it ended up arcing and shorting out. So we had to swap that out with a, a larger one. I think it was a 20 amp or a 25 amp one. Uh, surprisingly, you can get a lot of different versions of those relays just straight off of uh, Amazon. So if you are going to run something with a high current, like a heater, I would highly recommend getting a, a high current uh, uh, relay as well. So before we get too deep into the project itself, I, I do want to mention one thing. So I mentioned the, the microcontrollers, this Node MCU, and it's uh, using an ESP8266. Now, those, uh, there is a port over of the compiler into the Arduino platform. So you can use the Arduino software, the IDE, the Integrated Development Environment, to write code directly to those ESP8266 boards, which makes them super easy to use. And because they have built-in uh, wireless, you can connect them to a local hotspot, and then you can send and receive data through a standard internet protocol, which makes them very, very flexible for a Internet of Things project. And because they're cheap, between a dollar and five dollars, depending on the package, you can really um, put just do all kinds of crazy things with them. Now, the Arduino Uno does not support wireless, so that would not be able to communicate at all. Now, you can buy. Uh, shields for both wireless and wired through ethernet. The problem is those shields can cost between 20 and $40 a piece, which just doesn't even make sense when you can buy a ESP8266 for $5 that has it all integrated in. So we're seeing a big shift of a lot of the internet of things going over to some of these ESP8266 boards. And there's a bunch of different form factors that you can get. You can check around 
I ended up using a couple of different Internet of Things dashboards for this project. The first one I used was ThingSpeak. Now, ThingSpeak is a hosted solution. It's very easy to use within the Node MCU ESP8266 platform. It just you just follow the examples that they have, and you've got an API key, and you can just make HTTP requests out and send the data. So I use ThingSpeak in order to display and store all of the temperature and humidity data. And that happens as every five minutes it sends the value. So we've got five minute increments. And then within the ThingSpeak, you can just log in with your web browser. You can look to see what the temperature is. You can see the graph over time. And then you can also download all of the data points if you want to load it into Excel or something like that. The second piece was I needed a way to control the temperature. And ThingSpeak is only one direction. So I can push data out, but I can't send data back to my device. Now, in order to send the data back to the device, what I needed is something that would retain the value, but then also be able to set it somehow. And what I ended up doing was a combination of uh, MQTT server, and then I used uh, Node-RED as one of the ways to set it. And then the second way is just a phone app on your phone. And there's all kinds of phone apps that will work with an MQTT server. So any one of them technically would work. We just need to subscribe to the right uh, topic and then you can set any value that you want. You can also get the data values too. So you can see what the temperature is in the room. Now I had already had a Node-RED and an MQTT server stood up. So that part wasn't a big deal. I just piggybacked on the, the platform that I already used. So now with that, I can use the Node-RED dashboard and just incre increase or, de or decrease the temperature, and then that will automatically set what my high temperature and low temperature is. Or you can use your phone and use just any standard MQTT app and then be able to do the same thing. And then because of the persistency uh, within the MQTT server, we can always see what the current temperature is and we can also see what the current set temperature is. All right, so that's the platform and those are the components and the software that I used. I'm not going to bore you with the blow by blow details of exactly how I built that. You probably have a pretty general idea. I've got a little gang box and inside the gang box, I've got a relay and then I've got an outlet and then I've got the microcontroller stuck on the side of it. And then the microcontroller communicates with the relay and then turns it on and off. So very straightforward. And if you're interested, I have a complete build guide up on Instructables. And I'll leave a link to it in the show notes as well. But let's shift over and talk a little bit about some of the problems and the challenges that I ran into. And I already talked about a few of these already, but I'm going to just cover them again. And then a few others that I didn't talk about. So I already mentioned this, but we burnt out the first relay. Uh, and that's something that if we're going to be running something with a high current, like a heater, you do need to double check that. And even though we did on did some rough calculations on the specifications, it turned out that the specifications were wrong on that heater. It actually required quite a bit more boot up current than what it said on the label. Um, not a big deal, but uh, keep that in mind. If you are going to be using something like a heater, you're going to have to take that into consideration and probably just buy a very high uh, current um, relay and not even bother messing around with it. The second problem that I ran into was with that ESP01. I mentioned earlier that it's got a limited GPIOs. Well, what happens is, is that if you take one of those GPIOs low 
it'll then boot into program mode and then you have to set it to high in order to go into run mode. Well, because I had two devices that I was controlling, one was the DHT22 for the sensor for the temperature and humidity, and then the second was the relay, I couldn't reliably have those be low and high on boot. So regardless of how I had that set up, I, I could get into a situation where if the power were to go out and then it came back online, that pin might be pulled low and then go into program mode. And it turned out it actually did do that a couple of times, which was really frustrating because there was no way around it other than to disconnect something and then boot it up and then reconnect it back up again. So that's why I did shift away from the ESP01, and I probably won't be using those for a lot of projects moving forward anyway, just given, given the reliability and the ease of use of the Node MCU. So the next major challenge that I ran into, which is something that I didn't even think of initially, but the relay has to work regardless if there's an internet connection or not. My first version, I had uh, essentially was relying on the internet. And if the internet would drop, it would sit and try to connect, try to connect, try to connect. Well, what would happen is, is that if the relay was on, the temperature would continue to rise, continue to rise, continue to rise, and it would not turn off. Well, that's definitely not something that you wanted. So I want the relay and the temperature to be independent of whether or not we have internet access. So that did mean I had to tweak a lot of that code based on my first version so that if the internet was not up, it wouldn't wait for it to come back before it would do any connections. So it essentially just waits zero amount of time. And if there's no connection, it goes on and the relay always has predominance. So if the temperature is too high or too low, the relay will control that independent of any of the internet. Now, the easiest way I found to test this was I just took the DHT22 sensor and I set it next to an incandescent light bulb. And then I plugged that light bulb into my relay. Now I could very quickly raise the temperature and lower the temperature. And it would do that whole cycle in less than 30 seconds. And just because of the, the temperature being within a one degree step, it would go on and off, on and off all the time. And that way I could test the code and I could make sure that at no point in time did the the relay stay on even when it got to its maximum temperature. So something to very uh, look out to very, very closely because you don't want any errors in that particular part of the code. Another problem that I kept running into is just the device locking up itself. And again, this gets back to because we're dealing with a microcontroller, you only have that one loop. You have to be super careful about your system ever getting into a wait state where it's waiting for something. It's waiting for the internet or it's waiting for the DHT uh, 22 sensor to come back. So that's something that you also need to take into consideration. I did post all of my code up on GitHub. So if you want to use that as a starting point or example, you sure could. Another huge problem that I ran into to start with was when I moved the device from one location to another and it would connect up, I wanted to be able to connect to the device directly to see what, what it was doing. Well, because it doesn't have a display, I had no way of knowing what its IP address was once it reconnected at the new location. So that turned out to be a huge challenge. What I ended up doing in the end is, is that as soon as it connects to the internet, it sent a message to the MQTT server with its local internal IP address. That way I could monitor that and then I would know as soon as it connected what its local IP address was, and then I could log back into the device. But again, something you probably wouldn't think of until you built a device like this. And the last problem I'm going to talk about here on this device has nothing to do with my device. It has everything to do with Internet of Things. And that is, how do you tell it what your current local uh, wireless login and password is? 
Now, if you think about that, an Internet of Things device has no keyboard, it has no mouse, it has no display by design. If it did have all of those things, you would have a, a computer. <laughs> so how do you tell a device what its local wireless SSID and password are? Now, you could hardwire it in, which a lot of people do. If you go out online and you do some investigation on different projects that are dealing with Internet of Things, one of the things you'll see is a lot of them just hardwire directly in the device what your SSID and password are. Well, that's going to work fine if it's for you and in your house. But if I have to take that somewhere, and maybe I need to move that around, and maybe it needs to go to a couple of different locations, how are you going to set that device up when you get on site? Well, it turns out there's a project out there called Wi-Fi Manager. And if you just Google search Wi-Fi Manager and then uh, ESP8266 or microcontroller, it doesn't really matter, you'll find it. There's a program that somebody had developed where you can tell the device, and this is specifically designed for the ESP8266 microcontroller, to go into access point mode. And what access point mode is, is it's like your home wireless router. It allows you to connect to that device. And then you can use your phone or your laptop to then connect to your Internet of Things device, your ESP8266. Once you're connected, you can then bring up a web page and go to its own local IP address, which is fixed at that point. And now you can serve up a web page off the device itself and then type in what you want your username and password, or I'm sorry, your SSID and your password to be, and then save it. And that then saves it to the device. And the device will then presumably connect to it and reboot. Now, that may sound very complicated, and in all honesty, it is complicated. It's complicated both from the developer standpoint, but also from the user's perspective. If I were to give you a device and say, hey, I need you to get this on your own network, it's going to require a little bit of knowledge of how that process works, how you, a router works, how internet, how a access point works, how to connect to that access point, and so on. That is definitely one of the big challenges with building Internet of Things devices today. And there really is not a good solution. There's a lot of solutions out there, but none of them are just seamless, which is currently holding up kind of further development and the explosion of getting these devices out to people. Now, all of them that everybody's kind of set on the same standard of you, know, you put it into access point mode and you connect to it. And then I've seen a lot of different ones where they may have a phone app that you run that knows that that access point exists and will automatically connect for it for the user, kind of walk you through them step by step. But anyway, as part of this device, I have the same problem, but because I'm the guy also that's going to be installing it, it's not a big deal. I, I can just install the device and then use my phone in order to properly configure it. But again, it's something to think about if you're going to build your own Internet of Things devices. And if you follow my guide, I'll walk through each of those steps for you so that you understand what's going on. All right, so that's the project that I built, and it's been working fantastic. It's been out in the field for a couple of months now without any issues. The first version that I had uh, did end up with a lot of different things that I had to tweak, a lot of code changes, but I think I've got it all worked out now where it seems to be very, very smooth and consistent. You can log into the Things Speak website. You can see the temperature over the last couple of months. You can control it with your phone to turn things, uh, turn the temperature up or down. And you can also use your phone to see what the current temperature in the room is. These projects don't have to be complicated. And if you do some poking around, you'll see that there's a lot of really good examples online. This particular project is also very, very cheap. I would say it's less than $15 worth of supplies. And if you use that Node MCU, you'll save yourself a lot of hassle. And that device itself, which is one of the more expensive pieces in the build, sells for between $5 and $10, depending on where you get it.
But the other thing too is, is that you can leverage existing software platforms. So even if you don't know how to build your own Internet of Things dashboard, that's totally fine. In fact, I wouldn't even recommend building it. You can piggyback on existing Internet of Things services and dashboards that exist today to get started. So that's all I've got for you today. I'll list a few links in the show notes if you're interested. I have a full video of this project. And then I also have an Instructables that includes the step-by-step build guide. Thanks for joining us today. If you've not left a review on Apple, we'd love it if you'd give us a big five stars. As always, you can join the conversation on our Facebook page. Just search for Go Hack Something. To subscribe, head over to GoHackSomething.com where you'll find all the links or just search for GoHackSomething.com wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks and Go Hack Something yourself.